Thanks for joining us at Mountainside, anywhere. We're praying that God will use this teaching to reveal himself to you in his word. Through it, may you see him more clearly, know him more fully, and trust him more deeply. As always, we are here to serve. Please reach out through mountainside.online if there's a specific way we can come alongside to pray, help, or encourage throughout the week. Let's join Pastor Dave now as he continues our study in the book of Mark. Well, this morning we're in Mark, and we're in Mark chapter 2. And last time I preached, I covered uh, like a chapter and a half, and this morning I'm going to really cover just five verses, and we're going to expand on a theology of the principle or the, uh, what is happening in the text. So Mark chapter 2, verse, I don't have my thing back there, but that's okay. I, but uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, so people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new clothing? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts on new wine, puts new wine skin. I'm sorry. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. The new wine calls for new wineskins. So let's kind of think through the facts that are presented in this passage. First, John's disciples and the Pharisees are fasting. Second, the disciples are not fasting. Um, and there's no sense in the text of there being any kind of uh, weirdness about knowing whether people are fasting or not. And the reason that is given for the disciples not fasting is that the presence of the bridegroom is cause for celebration. But when the bridegroom leaves, fasting will resume. Fact number five, Jesus is the bridegroom. Fact number six, Jesus is no longer here. Conclusion, fasting has resumed. Now, I don't know when was the last time you heard a message on fasting. Um, I look back at my notes, and I think it was like 2008 or 9 when I preached on fasting here. So let's talk about a theology of fasting or doctrine or truth. What does the Bible say about fasting? Maybe you've never thought about it before. Uh, what is fasting? In the physical sense, Fasting simply is not eating for a period of time. When the Bible talks about fasting and using that word, it is really talking about not eating food. There are other times in the Bible where food was limited for one reason or another. Daniel limited the kind of food, the beginning of Daniel, uh, but neither time that Daniel changed his diet was the word fasting used. 
as a young man, not eating prohibited food, proving the Lord's uh, ability to make them strong in spite of the food that they ate, or some would say because of the food that they ate. Um, And then there's another fast in Daniel 9, where he fasted from rich foods, and he, uh, he, the, the word fast is not used there, where he didn't eat rich foods, and he didn't anoint himself with fragrant oil. In other words, it'd be like not putting on deodorant. Um, and there's another time where Daniel did fast, the word fast is used, and he was wearing rough burlap and sprinkled ashes on him. And I'll say a little bit more about that. The Corinthians um, abstained from sexual intimacy during the fast. That's what Paul addresses. But with this, Paul gives a caution that both have to agree and that they are to resume uh, lest they be vulnerable temptation. Moses extremely fast in the sense that he had no water or food while he was in the presence of the Lord on Mount Sinai. I would say he probably never even crossed his mind to eat or drink when he's basically standing in the very presence of God. There's value in giving things up for a season, and we use the word fast. I've a few times in my life gone on a reading fast where I felt like my reading was maybe out of balance, and then for one month would read nothing but the Bible, um, or just a few things to keep up on the news. I see a number of people from time to time go on social media fasts where I'm not going to look at social media for a month or so. One time in our church in New Jersey, we, uh, the whole church, whoever wanted to, signed up for a TV fast, not to watch TV for one week. I didn't think that one clear, through clearly. We scheduled it in January to take place in like October, and it never crossed my mind that that was football season. Um, and we preached on everybody signed up and then it's like, oh man, I'm going to miss all the games this week. So, but that's kind of what it was for. Um, maybe a spending fast, uh, to control spending or avoiding certain foods for us for a reason. Jesus spoke about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 16 through, or Matthew 6, and I'll begin with verse 1. Most believers feel like they've been taught not to mention that you are fasting, that no one is supposed to know. Have you ever heard that? Okay, it's a perfect example of where we take a little section of Scripture, we don't take into account the whole. We take these words and we come to a conclusion without understanding that uh, something else is being said. So let's look at Matthew 6. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the longest message we have of Jesus preaching. Verse 1, Jesus says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. question is, what is the prohibition here? What is being said? to not do things with the motivation of gaining admiration. Jesus is not saying if somebody finds out that you did something nice, you're going to lose your rewards. 
He's not even saying don't tell anybody. It's all about your motivation. Verse 2, the second, is about giving. One is doing good, two is about giving. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. You imagine, here's $20. Um, I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. When you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It sounds like put money in both pockets, and when the offering comes, just reach in and grab a handful and give it in so your left hand doesn't have any idea how much you gave. It's really not what it's saying. It's kind of hyperbole in that we're not to do things out of a motivation of having people clap for us. He, again, um, he said, if you're doing it for the motivation of people and people say, wow, isn't that great, then you got what you wanted. And don't expect anything from God. Now, we know it's not wrong to take an offering. We know it's not wrong uh, to get a receipt for your giving for the year. In fact, in another place, Jesus calls the disciples over to watch how much someone gives. So that's not the prohibition. So, three, when you pray... When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in their synagogues, where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask Him. Then Jesus teaches the disciple prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but the Lord's Prayer is really the disciple's prayer. John 17 is really the Lord's Prayer. But um, is Jesus saying that it's wrong to pray publicly? It's wrong to pray in such a way that people go, wow, that guy's a great prayer. You know, this is actually a place for caution. I mean, I find myself sometimes when I get ready to pray publicly of being aware of people, and it's very dangerous to really start praying to teach the people and not be talking to God. I mean, am I saying things to God that he already knows that I want you to know? I mean... Just being, just put out a word of caution. But really what's talking about here is praying in a way to gain attention. And we need to just be thinking that through when we pray. And fourth, when you fast. When you fast, don't make it obvious, verse, seven, or verse 16, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. Again, what is a prohibition? The prohibition is messing up your hair, you know, walking around like moaning and complaining. So what, what's wrong with you today? Well, I'm fasting. It's my second day of fasting. 
And people go, wow, this guy is spiritual. And Jesus saying, like, you got your reward. You got what you wanted. Um, but God's not going to reward you. He says, but when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will, re will reward you. And so on an equal footing in this passage is doing good, giving, praying, and fasting. Now, when we take that little verse about fasting out of its context, it sounds like Jesus is saying, uh, don't ever let anybody know that you're fasting. I, I preached on this many years ago when we wanted to have a time of prayer and fasting at our church, and we were going to have a sign-up sheet for people to sign up to fast for a specific day. Well, the first reaction of people usually is, I can't sign up to fast, and people will know I'm fasting. And that obviously is not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is, what is your motivation? In doing good, in giving, in praying, and in fasting, it is for your Father to see and for Him to reward you. Definitely is not saying it's wrong for someone to know you're fasting. In fact, the whole context of this passage is that everybody knows who's fasting and who's not. It was said, and I haven't been able to verify this, that people fasted on Monday and Thursday. And so it was obvious that during this time, the disciples weren't fasting because they were fasting earlier. And so the point that Jesus is making with these four points is that God sees your heart. He knows your motive. And these four things will gain praise and reward from people if that is your motivation. And so who are you doing this? What is the audience? Is it God or is it people? And notice that it says God rewards doing good. God rewards giving. God rewards praying. And God rewards fasting. And the question we have to ask in all of this, and I think especially in doing good and giving, is, is it okay if God is the only one who knows? And it's easy to just say, oh, of course, because we know the right answer. But the point is we're to check our motivations and all of these things. Am I content with nobody knowing? Years ago, we had a, in my former church, we had a man who had been the treasurer for 50 years. We had no computers up until the end, but we never brought the computer in for accounting because he wouldn't have done it. Faithfully wrote every check for 50 years. You'd go and knock on his door if you needed a check, and he'd go back and write a check and bring it to the door. Um, very frugal man, just a wonderful guy. He had fought in World War II. He was an LST um, driver. And uh, after the war, he took an accounting class, and the church was fairly new, and said uh, he, was, he was a founding member as a teenager. And so they gave him the job of doing the accounting, and he did it for 50 years. So when he came to me and said, I want to, it's time for me to stop, 
Um, I said, well, we want to have a, a celebration. We want to celebrate your service to the church and recognize it, but we also want to use it as a motivation for people to be involved. And he was horrified at the idea. I'd, I'll lose my reward. I'm dead serious. I could not talk him into it. I could not help him to understand that he wasn't going to lose his reward and all of this. And uh, his brother was an elder. And uh, Bill died just shortly after. So I sat down with his brother and I said, hey, what do you think that we, now we have the Bill Appreciation Day? You know, we'll celebrate his life. We'll do it on a Sunday. And we'll talk about serving the church and his example of uh, being a part of making the church um, all that it was during his life. And so we had, a, uh, we had a celebration. Now, when he got to see the Lord and we did, had the celebration, God did not come up to Bill and say, Hey, Bill, the church just celebrated what you did, so give me the reward back. Um, in fact, really, the celebration during his life would have been a good thing because his life would have been used to motivate people. Jesus doesn't speak about fasting as something unusual. It's on the level with doing good deeds, with praying, and with giving. It's not spoken of in the text as something being parenthetical. That's something that was for another time and is not for today. In fact, Jesus' statement was that for three years, while the Messiah was here, you wouldn't fast because it was a time of celebration. Meaning that during the millennial reign of Christ, there probably will not be fasting. This, this uh, confusing section of the new wineskins, I think is where Jesus is distancing future practicing of fasting from the old, from the, the uh, current ritual of religion. The old must be completely replaced by the new. That's what's happening at the end of Jesus' ministry. The communion is the new covenant. Um, and so you can't fix an old garment with new material. And so there's something new that's going to happen. And so fasting has the same form, but it will be new. And I just thought of some differences. Uh, there's a new reality to fasting. The old system was a system of continuous working to fulfill the law. The law prescribed how to go through sacrifices, how to worship, what kind of foods to eat, what kind of clothing even to wear. All of the old sacrifices had been fulfilled in Christ in the new. Under the old was a longing for Messiah to be revealed. Under the new, we know who he is. We long to be united with him, so there is still a longing, though the comforter is a companion that, that uh, teaches, that ministers to us the spirit of Christ. In the old, ultimate salvation was to come, that sacrifices were a covering for sin. In the new, our, the act of our salvation is in the past. The lamb has been split, slain, the blood has been shed. Once for all, Hebrews says, uh, so much so that our high priest sat down at the right hand of the Father because the work was completed. 
And so punishment for our sins has already been executed. Death has been defeated. And the Spirit of God indwells in us. The old is a longing for the suffering Messiah. The first advent, the second, the new is a longing for the reigning Messiah, the second advent. So let's take a moment and talk about what fasting is not. Fasting is not a display of spirituality through keeping the law. You don't adhere spirituality by adherence to the law. The New Testament, Romans, Galatians especially, uh, talk about this fact that these things are different poles. You know, working to fulfill the law is not what grace is about. Let me read Colossians 2. If you have died with the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit to such decrees as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Those sound great, don't they? We all have our rules of what not to taste, what not to touch. All these things are destined to perish in accordance with the commands and teaching of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgences. So we're distancing when we talk about fasting from the old in that this is not about gaining spirituality by some kind of impression of God. Second, fasting does not earn favor with God. Our favor with God is earned through Christ. If we think about earning favor with God, we dishonor God by equating it to a business transaction. God saved us by grace through faith, and our good works flow out of the new birth. Our good works are out of gratitude for our salvation. Third, we do not fast as a payment for sin. We really can't escape that feeling that when we sin, somehow we need to show how sorry we are. We need to somehow pay God back or somehow punish ourselves. Somehow we just need to find closure in some way that involves me doing something. And fasting is not a payment for our sins because Christ already paid for our sins. In fact, Colossians chapter 1 uh, has some amazing things. Verse 12 of Colossians chapter 1 says, Always thanking God, he enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. That, our, that it is God who enabled us. Verse 13, For he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his son. He rescued us. He transferred us. You know, pick up on a pattern that God is the one who's doing all these things. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He purchased our freedom. He forgave our sins. For God in all the fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, through what Christ did, reconciled everything to himself. That word reconciled means to bring together, to make peace, to... Uh, you know, when a family is, is at odds with each other, reconciliation is where they come back to being a family of love. He reconciled 
us to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he brought you into his own presence. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without fault. And NLT says, without a single fault. So he reconciled us when we were enemies. He brings us into his presence. He declares us holy and blameless, and he declares that we stand before him without a single fault. The only thing we do under grace is change our mind, and then the fruit of repentance, the changing of our mind, is, is doing the right thing and thanking God that he forgave us. There's nothing I can do to cover my sin. It has already been covered. And third, fasting is not a transaction with God. This is where so many books on fasting stray. So many books present fasting as somehow a way to bind God to do what I'm asking him to do. I would say most books. Fasting does not bind God. I do fast because I want something. But God is in charge, not me. In fact, Romans 8.32 says that God's already given us everything that we need. Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? There is nothing in my life that is not given to me by God and is complete. Though I can name things that I think I lack, God says, no, you don't need that. So, what is fasting? I like this definition. Fasting is expressing with my whole body what my heart feels. Listen carefully. Fasting is not about earning. Fasting is about expressing. I'm not trying to, that if I fast four days, it's better than three days, and God's more inclined to do what I'm asking. It's the whole body expressing what my heart feels. This is why we can understand why Daniel wore sackcloth or rough clothing and why he put ashes on his head because he's, he's expressing with his body what is going on in his heart. Now, this is really strange in our culture because we satisfy every craving, right? We're five minutes away from ever satisfying our hunger. Where are you more than five minutes? And you probably have a snack in your car or wherever you are. We always have something to entertain us. We have a, a phone. So we go and wait in a doctor's office for three minutes and we can play a game. We can read a book. We have music to overcome our silence. I can remember the days sitting in waiting rooms and all you had to read was a five-year-old magazine. Remember those? And it was usually about something you could care less about. Or we rode in a car without music, without games, without videos. My kids would say a couple of times growing up, was it fun when you were a kid? My grandkids now ask me, uh, you watch TV with all, where everything was gray? 
He didn't say black and white because he doesn't know it was gray. And it's like, that's right, it is all gray, shades of gray. A lack of fasting may be an indication of our comfort. Um, no one fasts to express how content they are. Right? You don't fast because you're full. Fasting is born out of dissatisfaction. And so there's no question that Jesus intended that his followers will fast when he's gone. He says, then they will fast. It's the normal thing for a person of God to be fasting from time to time. Notice I'm not saying required. It's just normative. So why fast? Let me give you four reasons. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. We don't talk a lot about spiritual disciplines using that term. I was just talking to someone the other day that they were working on their master's degree and read a book on spiritual disciplines. One of the problems is spiritual disciplines have a, have a ring of legalism to them. And I'm going to address this next week. Unfortunately, too, they've been identified as being part of the monastic life. But spiritual disciplines include things like silence and solitude and meditation and prayer and fasting, confession and rest. Again, the problem of so many things is we have a hard time separating earning from expressing. Or from discipline means that I'm doing something to strengthen my character, not to earn something from God. And the problem with these things is that they almost immediately degrade into legalism and law. And we're going to see next week that that is completely contrary to the New Testament and the early church. They distanced themselves far, far away from being confused with uh, the laws of the Old Covenant. We're going to look next week where Jesus says, Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. And if you grew up in some homes, uh, Sabbath rest was more like Sabbath prison, right? I mean, uh, you might as well be in jail for the day. Um, go sit on your bed and think about God. Now, my parents never said that, but I had friends whose parents said that. Number two, fasting is an instrument of growth. This is why we call these things spiritual disciplines. Fasting creates an environment that exposes my flesh. Fasting tells me so much about myself. I've preached a lot of the fruit of the Spirit, the deeds of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh get revealed when I fast. Now, when you fast and you get hungry or hangry, right, you have that, uh, that fire burning inside of you, and we get angry, what do we say? I'm angry because I haven't had anything to eat. Jesus said those things are in our heart and not having anything to eat reveals them. Circumstances reveal what is in my heart. I mean, did the fruit of the Spirit somehow say, well, the guy's fasting, so he didn't have to for the Spirit. I mean, uh, and so we... we, we uh, um, Here's some of the deeds of the flesh. Hostility, quarreling, 
jealousy, outbursts of anger. I mean, we can be jealous because somebody else is eating. We can be idolatrous because, uh, of food. And all of these things, think about this, all of these things can be fixed by eating a sandwich. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And so one of the things that fasting does is it reveals something about my heart. It's a frightening thing to think that I can walk in the Spirit by eating a sandwich. It carries over to so many other things. More than anything else, food brings a sense of satisfaction. And if we are in a place where we are under pressure and fasting creates this environment, if we're walking in the Spirit, we'll see the fruit of the Spirit. And I make a choice. I either eat and fool myself into thinking that all that nastiness is gone, or I take responsibility for what I'm seeing in my life and ask God to manifest the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in my life. It's easy to make excuses for our flesh. That's probably the thing that, that happens the most in counseling, is everyone has a reason for why they did what they did, but the reason is never their heart. It's always what's happening out here. And Jesus said multiple times when he's speaking about fruit, is the fruit reveals the root. Number three, fasting is an expression of mourning and longing. That's why Jesus said when the bridegroom is here, it's a time for celebration, but when the bridegroom goes, we resume fasting. We can choose joy, but we can also choose mourning and longing. There are reasons to mourn in this life, right? Longing to be healed. Longing for God to heal a child or heal my friend. Mourning the loss of someone's salvation. Lost family members, lost friends, community, enemies, unreached people groups. A longing for the return of the wayward. I get an email two or three times a week from one of my closest friends in college who has walked very far from the Lord. I long for him to come back to the Lord 50 years later. Longing for direction, a decision to make. A mourning conflict, conflict with another person, conflict in our community, conflict with the nation, conflict in the world. A change, we long for change, to change me, to change my heart, uh, to help me be victorious over the things that so easily entangle me. Are there reasons to mourn for our culture? There's so many things that make us heartsick. And finally, the fourth is that I fast because I'm homesick. Um, fasting, we do not call it an ordinance of the church. It's not a required thing. It's like the counterpart of communion. We celebrate communion until he comes. And Jesus said that we fast when the bridegroom is removed. So as we go back to fasting, there is this sense of absence that the Messiah is not here now. And the next time Messiah is here, 
will be ruling. So much of Christianity, and I speak for myself, is about comfort. There's little longing and dissatisfaction in this life because we have so much. Revelation 20 through 20 speaks of this longing where he who is faithful witnessed to all these things saying, yes, I am coming soon, amen. And the Bible ends with the phrase, come Lord Jesus. So please recognize as we come to a close that I'm not saying you should fast. It's required for people to fast. I'm just saying it's normative and you have to make up your mind. One caution, and that caution is, when I pray, when I fast and pray, when I express with my body what my mouth is saying that I'm longing for something, I know what I want to happen. But I don't know what the best thing is. I lived in a family with a child with childhood leukemia. We prayed every day for that to go away. Um, But it's amazing the benefit to our family of walking that path. It's the key to understanding our family. But nowhere would we pray... God, please give my child leukemia. Because we don't know what's the best. We don't know those things. I want healing. I would love one day to wake up without pain. Live one day without pain. Um, Right now, I just passed 32 years of pain every day. Just a part of life. I think I could be so much more effective in every area of my life if I didn't have pain. But since God has given me all things, I know that he says no for a reason. And so what I'm trying to say is, when I ask God for something, I have to recognize in my heart of hearts that I really don't know what the best thing is. I've counseled some people, and, and they'll say something like this, and then I decided this needed to happen. I went to the Lord and said, Lord, you've got to make this happen. And I'm like, whoa, man, I don't know. I'd, I'd be scared to say that. Same thing with a job, with, with everything. The Bible says that suffering is valuable. But the Bible also teaches us that suffering is because of sin and that we pray for healing. The Bible teaches that. I'm so thankful for Luke 22:42, where Jesus was in the garden and prays, Lord, Or, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. I boldly ask God for healing in my life and people's lives. I beg God to heal, to save, to restore, to give direction. And there's only one thing I ever want that more, that's more important. And that is God's plan. And he doesn't always tell me. Let me make that clear. He doesn't ever tell me 
what the plan is. Because I walk by faith, not sight. If I had sight, it wouldn't be by faith. And so the core of every longing, every prayer, every fasting is, God, you know best. That is what I want. So what do you long for? Let me just list some things that came to mind. I long for him to save my family and friends. I long for so many things for my family and church family, protection, growth, living godly. I pray for every people group to have a gospel witness. I long to know him better. I long to know his will. I long to expose the things in my life that are contrary to his character. I long to see the longings of my flesh being replaced by a deeper longing in my spirit. I long to experience the satisfaction of him satisfying me to the point that the longings of my flesh are mute. I long to proclaim my weakness, my dependence on him. I long to proclaim my hope in him. All of my confidence is in him. I long to proclaim my trust in him that his ways are perfect. I long to say with my whole heart and my whole being what my heart feels as David prayed, whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. There is one book that I recommend on fasting. I haven't read them all, so there might be another good one. And that's John Piper's A Hunger for God. It is incredible. What you have on the screen is what he has in this book. I am empty. You are full. I am hungry. You are the bread of life. I am thirsty. You are the fountain of life. I am weak. You are strong. I am poor. You are rich. I am foolish. You are wise. I am broken. You are whole. I am dying your steadfast love is better than life. And he writes this, fasting expresses the cry of the heart that nothing on earth can satisfy our souls besides God. God must reward this cry because God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Fasting is saying with my body what my heart feels. I just want to challenge you to to think about that and to pray about that and add that expression, that way of expressing your heart to your arsenal of spiritual disciplines. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the teaching. Our flesh is so much in the way of our life. Our Appetites are so easily satisfied in this day and age. We virtually never are bored. In fact, sometimes I spend five minutes figuring out what to watch on a streaming channel. Because there's too much. Or pondering over a menu with too many choices or looking at the book list of what to read next and saying too many choices. And sometimes we just need to step aside to be quiet, to be bored, to be silent, and to fast. And so God, help us. Help us not to move this from grace to law. Not to move this from 
expression to earning. All for your glory, in Jesus' name.